So we're talking about the book. We're going to talk about the philosophy. We're going to talk about, we're going to like interpret the book a little bit. I was looking over the book last night, and I felt a little bit like I was interpreting the Bible. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like you read it and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he says something, you go, oh. <laughs> now how can I be on board with all of it? Because this just feels like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. But is that what is he actually saying? So it was, it was an interesting experience. But really, every time I read this book, here's my book that I've had for like 20 years. It, it's totally falling apart. Every time I read this book, I do feel really excited um, about teaching politics, which is kind of cool. So we're going to dive into this a little bit. So this workshop is not um, designed to be a case for classical or contemporary politics. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about simply understanding the value in the method as it has been passed down to us, and then we all have different interpretations of that. But to just really get in touch with the original intent of the method, and to look at what did he actually say? Right? There's not a, there's not tons of material that that shows us what he did, but so much of it is word of mouth. We do have some archival footage. We have these books. Um, so it is simply just to. See what is in it for us. What's the value? How does it inform the intention that we hold as teachers? And so that we can recognize when we are really staying true to the method and when we are not, either by choice or accidentally. Because my own experience is that kind of in an unconscious way, at some point I move way away from even thinking about any of this stuff. Right? And I've had my own intentions and really taught from my own desire, which is fine, totally fine. It's not, again, not making a case for right or wrong, but just to recognize that we can really strongly teach from this place as a, as a viewpoint or not. Right? So I want you to understand what the viewpoint is so you can decide how much to teach from it. We're going to look at the orders. We're going to talk about the value in the orders. Um, we're going to go over a couple of the math exercises that you're maybe less familiar with, specifically crab and control balance. And then look at the reformer orders. And then do a little teaching to each other right, on the reformer. So we'll partner up. And then we're going to end the day with a classic math class. Right? So 50 minutes of straight through mat work, which will be good, I think, after sitting all day, and we'll go through it in the order that is in the book, which means I'll probably have be having to, like, look at the pictures as we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, reasonable? Okay, so, um, then you have this page, return to this page. It starts on the other side, clarifying intent. It's kind of the beginning section of um, like the previous page. Philosophy and original intent. Um, if you teach from a place of making the following principles and philosophical viewpoints the foundation of your teaching, I believe it is safe to say you teach Pilates, whether classical, contemporary, therapeutic, or otherwise. So these are the these are the classic kind of original principles that really create the foundation, identify the uniqueness of Pilates, breath, control, precision, flow or flowing motion, centering and concentration. And oftentimes we see additional principles added in like opposition and balance. balance. Yeah. What are some of the other ones that are some relaxation? Relaxation, yeah. Which can be really breath. Yeah. Right? Can be the same as breath. So you'll hear some other things too. Philosophical viewpoints. So this is my interpretation. Opposition dynamic movement of what I when I read these books, this is what this is what I derive from reading them. 
opposition, dynamic movement, reaching for or accessing full potential, full body strength, flexibility and balance, personal ownership. Who has actually read these books? Maybe these books. These books. This book. These are these are two, right? It's Return to Life through Contrology. That's the and then with the exercises and then your health was like the pamphlet essentially that he created to distribute to the world, right? To create it into a Pilates utopia, which you know he essentially uses that word utopia, incredibly idealistic. Um, so a lot of talk about personal ownership, which I actually this time around reading it was really struck by because I've been talking a lot about self care and self practice. Um, a little bit to you all and then to some of the other teachers that I've been working with. <clears throat> Practice, dedication, perseverance, and patience, which are also words that he uses. Peace of mind, quieting the mind, spiritual equanimity, physical, mental, emotional vitality, optimizing body and mind, posture, breath, prevention, right? Prevention of illness. Knowledge, he talks about the art and science of his method and the absolute imperative that we have to know the body as fully as possible, which is also something that gets me really excited because, as you know, I love learning about the body and feel like that's a point. Joseph was in alignment with that. Um, and dedicated effort. So, what I would like us to do is I want to just get some of your impressions from reading the material. Things that you like stuck out for you, things that you felt surprised about, um, things that you maybe insights that you had, um, questions that you had, and let's just kind of see what's there so we can we can kind of gauge the conversation. Ten minutes without fail. I love that. Yes, me too. What yeah. was it? Ten minutes without fail. Yeah. <laughs> So he's talking about, it's in Return to Life, and he's talking about, you know, there's this whole section on um, that you don't need expensive equipment. You don't need to go anywhere. You basically just need a floor. Yeah. And if you do this work 10 minutes without fail, like, that's, that's, like, it will, yeah, it will change your life. And then he says, and then once you do it 10 minutes without fail consistently, you will, there's no, like, going back. Then you want to do 20 minutes, then you want to do 30 minutes every single day. Yeah, I know I underlined that too. Awesome. 10 minutes without fail. I read this before I started my training. It's uh -huh. kind of like a, just a, and I remember reading that and not believing it. Mm -hmm. Not believing not that, believing it. Like, that it was that it, that it, like that it, that it would work, that I'd want to keep doing more, and yeah. that it would, like, that it would be something that worked for me. Yeah. And your experience has, has changed. changed. Oh, definitely, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yes. Ten minutes without fail, which is also, <coughs> what else is that, like, what else does that lead to? Like, you know that. Is that to me, it makes me feel like, okay, ten, I could do ten minutes mm -hmm. a day. I mean, with my whole heart, I can do ten minutes a day, sleep deprived mm -hmm. or not, you know. Mm -hmm. That's, and that feels really, like, motivating and, like, totally doable. And I have that experience of ten or fifteen minutes just feeling like, Oh, yeah. Okay, ready. You know, but also, what is that? How does that translate for us in our role as teachers, as we are educating our students? What does that? What does that mean for you? Like, what kind of fuel does that give you? Do you understand the question? It's like if somebody at a table goal. It's like they yeah. can't reach this mm -hmm. and they can't do this, and it's not. Like, you have to do everything else in your life in order to do this. Right, and it's not an hour in right. a studio with a teacher, which, you know, it's maybe, like, yeah. don't say that too often. <laughs> but, but really say it often enough, because yeah. how many of you are giving homework? Yeah. Yeah, so whether you're saying, go home and work on your this breath practice for five minutes a day, or as often as possible, or you've created a program for somebody to take home with them, right, math program or something, it doesn't have to be huge, it just has to be consistent, ultimately totally focused, right, utter concentration, like 
you take those 10 minutes and you make them the most concentrated, focused, single-minded 10 minutes of your day. And it's really not that hard. Like, that's so simple. So for me, when I get, like, I get really excited about giving people often lots of things to do. Not, not so much anymore, but that's the, that's the, like, that's the tendency, although I know now to stop myself because it just is disappointing for both of us. But from this point of view, it's like, you, you don't, it's, there's no need for that, right? Let it build on itself. Let the student experience that there is a natural inclination to want to do more, right? That's, when I tell you you're supposed to go home and do 30 minutes of something twice a week, even once a week, your, your willingness to do that stops at some point. Your motivation to do that stops at some point. But if I say do 10 minutes of this highly concentrated practice every day, any time of the day, doesn't matter, on your floor, lay down in your kitchen, I mean anywhere, and, and do it with as much focus and presence and effort and attention as possible, not like tension effort, but like, you know, strength and power and focus, then I'm putting it in the student's hands, right? And I'm trusting that the likelihood is that they're going to want to do that more often. And they're going to want to maybe do it for longer. And so then you give the student an opportunity to have their own internal experience, which is motivating, right? And that kind of motivation is much more sustainable than me telling you to do something. Yeah? I think that's true? Yeah. Okay, what else? I like how he talks about leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of times in Pilates, you sort of put breathing to the side in the very beginning stages. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very, very important part of, of Pilates. Mm -hmm. And uh, it helps the circulation, and it talks about that in the book. I haven't read this for a while, but it's talking about the circulation and how it builds the lungs up yes. and all kinds of great things. Mm -hmm. And gets the body moving and detoxes you. Mm -hmm. And so it's an incredible part of Pilates. Yeah, and he talks about being out in nature. Right? Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about that. Clean air, fresh air. Like the value of that, not constantly breathing recycled air, right? And and he's, I mean, it, it's he doesn't use bolds very often, right? He bolded perseverance and patience, and he bolds this section on squeeze every atom of air out. So, you know, I mean, there's some indication that he felt fairly strongly about that. And it is interesting how this is where, like, this is where we can, I feel like, because none of us can you know, has direct experience with him. So, you know, the best that we've done is experience with somebody who had experience with him, and those opportunities are quickly waning. But we have an opportunity to look at these um, these pieces uh, from different vantage points. And a lot of times, you know, in the workshop we did in August with Colleen, do you remember her saying how um, when you're when she's teaching, like part of the um, power of Pilates method is that the breath is just totally after, right? Like it just is not there. We talked about it until like all the choreography is established and all of that is done. Interesting, right? I find that interesting from a, from a, a program that's quote unquote a classical or original traditional program because my interpretation is different, right? so, and it, maybe it's not even interpretation, but based on what I believe Pilates is about, my own experience with it, and then you know, hearing other people's viewpoints, feels like the breath is the first thing that happens. And then everything builds on that. So for me, I can, I, it's like this is the direct path of taking the information directly from the source, and then integrating it into my own experience, right? And deciding how to use it. And so for me, I feel like I want to, I feel like it is, it's, it's one of the primary goals of Pilates. And so I, it's one of the three 
fundamental things that I teach to my new students, and it's something we practice every time specifically, not accidentally, not as an aside, not on top of movement, but that movement is derived from the breath. And so my language is based on that idea. Right? So we're doing 6 o'clock, 12 o'clock, pelvic tilting. And it's like, I don't want you to move you. I want you to breathe you. Like, what's the difference? You know, what's the difference in just going arch and flatten and, and you know, arch and flat? So that's like muscular, right? Use the back, push the ribs forward, push the tail forward, hi Jenny. Pull the belly in, squeeze the butt, use the legs. Right, that's kind of the, that's the effortful version of that. That's trying to move you, but then just relax the body and take a big inhale and notice what the body naturally does. It extends the pelvis tips forward. And then exhale all the air out and notice what the body naturally does. It flexes. So for me, this acknowledgement of how important the breath felt to him infuses the, my viewpoint, right? And I feel like that's one of, that, like I have a very strong opinion about that. It's not that I want you to have the same opinion, but it feels like that's important to me. Right? So we just, we have this kind of awesome opportunity to be guided by this stuff, which so many teachers don't even know about. I mean, they kind of know about it, but they don't. They've never. They don't have the book. They haven't opened it. They haven't read it. Right? When you read it, it's a little eye-opening. It's a little shocking. I, when I first read it, I was like, "Like, cow man, this guy is serious." The <laughs> <laughs> Bible experience, as we were talking about, like, we're trying to translate what you're saying because it's almost like a different language. You speak. It's so intense. It's, yeah. And it's almost like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Conviction. Yeah. So much conviction. Yeah. So much yeah. conviction. Yeah. yeah, and it's poetic, right? Yeah. <laughs> Slightly poetic. And yeah. lots of analogy. Did you notice that? Lots of comparing. Like, uh, there's a part where he talks about, um, like, a well-tuned driver driving a car that's in pristine condition and taking the curves and what that feels like to seamlessly navigate at high speeds, you know, the curves of the road versus, like, driving down the road in your busted up pinto, you know? <laughs> so, and that, that analogy of, of comparing the body. analogy of animals. Animals, yeah. <laughs> so lots of analogy, which, which, you know, also for me, I think we search for affirmation, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, like we search for proof that what we're doing is right. So there's a little bit of that. Um, but for me, when I think about like, oh, all the analogy, all the comparison, I feel like, yeah, he would be really into how we use metaphor and how we are comparing and how we are trying to get people to see, you know, and experience their body. Like, whatever tools are at your disposal, use them. Use them, use them as much as it is beneficial. And, and that is not everybody's standpoint. Not everybody's standpoint, particularly about imagery. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff. So, Santa, you were going to say something. Mm -hmm. Two things. I was watching a, um, a Pilates Anytime video of, uh, of uh, Brent Anderson, and he was saying that he didn't think the breath needed to be that circumscribed that if you were trying to, for an effect in a certain exercise, then you might bring it in. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kind of alerted to that and thought, oh, that's different, you know? And then the other thing I wanted to say is, um, I've had the experience in teaching um, where people are confused by the breath versus trying to get the, the you know, the movements down or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's like... So I think we're talking about two different things. Two different yeah, things. so having the breath be a key core principle that you work from is, as I described it earlier, and then being, to me, so this is just, you take it or leave it, it's just my opinion, to me, having the breath 
that the breath has to be a certain way, I don't feel like is the same thing. Right? Some people would probably not agree, but I think that's probably Brin's point is that it, it doesn't have to be inhale always to push out. Like maybe that's how he taught it. Maybe. And so can we find the value in that? Can we teach from that place with a really clear intention of understanding the benefit, right? Because what happens in the body? Expansion, extension on inhalation. So why would you choose that? Why would you make that choice? But then there are going to be times when that's not going to be the best choice for a body. So I think the point is that it doesn't, like, don't be, you know, like, don't be attached to the breath being always having to be a certain way. And yes, people get confused, I think, not over breathing. Like, that's kind of unfamiliar for many, many people, right, our students, not knowing how to breathe well. But I think they do get bogged down by, like, inhale here, exhale here, inhale. So if we're, if we're like, if we're beating that drum too much, too soon, yeah, it's distracting, and it and it's kind of doesn't it doesn't facilitate the enjoyment, right? But with that said, that doesn't mean don't teach the breath, don't teach proper breathing, don't teach good breathing, don't teach active. I mean, teach active, do all those things, but just don't be too caught up in like, okay, now inhale, now exhale, now inhale. It's like okay, do this movement and feel how the breath can facilitate it. Period. Yeah, Joe. Um, oh, he, Brent, uses this term, uh, breath is a tool, not a rule. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, a tool, not a rule. A tool, not a rule. Right. Breath yeah. is a yeah. tool, yeah. not a rule. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is um, a very interesting juxtaposition in the book, right, in, in, his, in Joe's writings, is that he has this depth of conviction, like Darlene said, that it's like, you must take it seriously that you have this physical body and you must take care of it and you must practice if you want to live a full vital life. And he also says, you know, like, choose the exercises that are most beneficial. Like in this same little section where he's talking about 10 minutes a day, he also says, and I think this is probably slightly open for interpretation, but my interpretation is, I think I even wrote it down, um, it's something like he changed, like pick the ones that feel most beneficial and do those 10 minutes a day. Right? So it feels like to me he is also saying it's okay to be creative and to evolve and not be overly attached given the body that's in front of you and also be totally committed to doing it the way I'm telling you to do it. Right? So it's this very interesting, you can see how we end up in two separate camps, right? Because it's like he almost had two opposing viewpoints. I don't necessarily see it as them as opposing. I see them as complementary, but I think that's not maybe easy for everybody. Shantan teaching, do um, this and see how the breath can help facilitate the movement. That's saying something different than inhale here, exhale here. And it's like, oh, ultimately, I feel like that's where you want to get with a student. But in the beginning, they wouldn't have a clue of yeah. a lot of students, right? Yeah, well. So maybe that's where you're more directed with the graph. And then at the intermediate level, maybe then you can start to say, I want you to, to feel, you know, what, what feels the best. What, I think it's the opposite oh, to me. The, the opposite feels true. I feel like most people come to, and he says something about um, uh, that you, you don't move on until you have perfected the exercise that comes, that precedes. Yeah. So you do the hundred until it's perfect, and then you add roll-ups. And you do them until they're perfect, and then you add, like, so he was, I mean, you know, he actually says this. And to me, it feels like breathing is something that comes first. So, and in a, in a new body and a student that comes in that is maybe, like, just has no connection to the breath. Like, I don't know how I breathe. Do I really breathe at all much? Probably not very well. And so you have to meet the student where they are and, and give them opportunities to experience the breath, to even identify the breath. 
Like how do I breathe into my chest? Do I breathe into my back? Can I breathe? Do I breathe into my belly? Like do I like to breathe into my nose through my mouth? Like I don't even know. I have no. There's no um, like point of reference, right? So for me, it feels like to give the student space to explore and find the breath, and then develop the breath, three-dimensional breathing, right? Lateral posterior breathing, and then it's like now you're getting it. Now you know. Now do it, and do it this way, right? And do it this way, and really work it this way, and now do it the other way. So it feels like as they progress and learn and become more skillful, then I can demand more of them. So that's my particular approach. That's how I see it in terms of progression. Does that make sense? You all have thoughts? Comments about that or experiences of that? Uh, just recently, I've been starting everybody with a simple. Just inhale, extend, like extension, flex. Don't get shorter. Extend, flex, extend, flex, and then I can integrate that into so that it does become a little bit of second nature before you start to really, like you said. Um, be really specific. So I'm telling them this, and then you know find it in the exercises. And I'm finding really awesome. Starting my class that way is really helpful. It helps everything to keep to to go that way. Yeah. And without being too strict and stringent, mm -hmm. and then you can now reverse it. Not in that instance, because that's actually yeah. hard. Yeah. Hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> from yeah. standing, Trinity, or from sitting? Sitting. Okay. It also seems to me that when we are very attached to a breath pattern too soon, or we're talking about it too much in the beginning, there's a lot, there's a lot of inner battle with the student on, on a mind plane and a physical plane. It's like, I don't actually understand why I'm breathing this way. Right. And it's not maybe, maybe it's not consciously I don't understand, but the body is going, I feel confused. You're telling me to do this, inhale when I'm doing this, and activate my glutes, my belly, and draw my shoulders down now. And it's like, there's no, still there's no point of reference. There's like, there's, so there's, there's this internal struggle, physically and maybe mentally, about why. There's no connection. Well, it's very amazing, like what you just said. When you just tell somebody when you inhale, naturally this is what happens, and when you exhale, naturally this is what happens, and how many people go, oh. Oh, it, oh, it does do that. Like, yeah, it, it does happens. do that. Yeah. So when you just get past that, then you can get into it. Like, yeah. So let's use, an, you, let's use a, a common example of teaching footwork on the reformer. Right? So this is a generalization. It's not what always happens, but what often happens is people push out and they tuck. Right? They push out, they tuck, and they squeeze their butts. All legs and butt. Right? Or it's just all legs. And when it's all legs, and there's no core connection, and there's no breath connection, the, the pelvis is unstable. Right, so you get flexion, you get posterior tilting. But what happens if you have taught them inhalation is extension, exhalation is flexion, and then you do the footwork and you see that they're tucking, and you say, hey, remember, inhalation is extension. And all of a sudden, inhale, they go out, and they naturally anchor the sacrum, naturally the multifidi fire, the deep low back muscles fire, and that's all you have to say, period. And then they don't tuck anymore. <laughs> And it really is that simple sometimes. But, but it's like you've identified that the breath does something. There's some reference point. And now you do the footwork, and all you have to do is use the breath to change the movement. Because now they understand that there is some relationship to the body actually responding in a certain way with the breath. I find teaching breathing to be one of the harder things to teach because people want to come in and they want to work out. They don't want to talk about their breath. <laughs> and it's really hard. You just have to get them to a place where they can feel it for themselves in their body. And it's one of the points where I see the most like aha across the face. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've been breathing wrong forever. And just taking that back and just... It's or breathing poorly. Breathing poorly, yes. And just then realizing how that they can use that in their work and just seeing how that all changes. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. But it's really it's really hard to teach and it's really hard to get people to realize why you're trying to get them to do something when they're so disconnected from their breath. Mm -hmm. They can't even feel it. And it's like trying to get somebody to feel that I find to be 
really difficult for myself. I've been using less words. I like show <laughs> the action, and then I'm like, exhale, inhale, mm. exhale, inhale. And I make like hand motions, like mm -hmm. say you're doing roll backs with a twist, mm -hmm. just hand motions, mm -hmm. like, and I say exhale, inhale. So here's your action, mm -hmm. no, just breathe. And because I get too wordy. Because it's something you have to feel. You can't talk about it so much. No. Okay, so if you just put them in the action and then tell them breath. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, and they're all oh. But this works really only when we have identified the breath in the body. Yes, of course. Not with a yeah. brain. I mean, and it's great. Less words. Yes. I'm a fan because <laughs> I struggle with that too. The center pointed out earlier. question. <laughs> I have, maybe anyone can help me with this, but I have a struggle when I have a client that is catching their breath. Like they'll inhale, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they kind of catch their breath mm -hmm. and then kind of grunt mm -hmm. and then ex exhale. And so I'm trying, so then I stop and start, let the breath flow, inhale slowly and continually, and then exhale slowly and continually. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard and they don't do it, they don't get it. Mm -hmm. So what can I do? You know, what kind of cue can I do? I think you need to let it go. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and I just say that from a place of like my own personal experience of being really, really attached to like anything, everything. <laughs> Something. Right? And, I, and I think what happens for our students is they become resistant when we're constantly trying to monitor or change them or we give some indication that what they're doing is not okay or not good and so why like let's come from the approach that any breathing is good breathing and then naturally when you inhale there is a natural stopping suspension of the breath at the top of the inhalation before you exhale so that person is doing that maybe not incredibly well but if we just like you can use words right you can use your words you can the, the teacher's breath is an element that they talk about in yoga, teacher training, that we use too, right? Teacher's breath is don't say the breath, do the breath, mm -hmm. right? That's or say and do the breath because people, it's, it's, a, it's a, like a parasympathetic nervous system reaction. <sighs> like, I'm a big sire, right? Like, mm -hmm. I like that. And, and it, people almost always, if I take a big breath, they take a big breath. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you need to tell them so much mm -hmm. as just do it mm -hmm. and let them come to it in their own terms, mm -hmm. right? And and that just is, it's a little gentler and then there's not this underlying like, You're doing shoot, I'm doing something wrong still and I'm doing the breath wrong and I'm not getting this and my back is not feeling, you know, it's like, it's like, no, don't add to, there's just no need to add to that sense of you're doing it wrong, mm -hmm. which is not your intention. But it is how we interpret those kinds of things, whether we are trying to or not. We often feel like, oh, God. I find myself saying, myself saying a lot, and now breathe. Because you get like, because people get so into the exercise, and they're doing it right, and, so, and then they're like, you know? And it's like, and now breathe. Now add that back into it. And then it becomes less like, it, it's still about the breath, but you're letting them kind of get away with not doing it. Sure. Like you start off with the breath, it's so important. And then they just now really focus on what you're doing, the movement. Mm -hmm. And now go back to breathing again. Because they just forget. Like, because there's so much going on. It's like you want me to, like you said earlier, engage my glutes and do this and straighten my neck, no wrinkles, and like, <laughs> yeah. and breathe. <laughs> so, so consider this, instead of and breathe, yeah. and now breathe, like, okay, you were breathing, and now you're focused on the choreography, yeah. which is looking awesome. Now breathe again, and so it's like ping pong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about now? Now see how you can put it all together. So uh, I've been talking a lot lately in the last few years about like whole. Every exercise is a whole body exercise. Every exercise, every exercise, is an opportunity to work the whole body, right? And this, based on what concept that he talks about repeatedly in the book. Whole body movement. Whole body movement, but he, there's a specific phrase that he uses. Uh, unified. Uniform. Uniform movement. Uniform development. development. Yeah. Uniform development. Right? Uniform development. The whole body. 
But we don't walk around just using the arms. We don't walk around just using our legs. The legs connect to the pelvis, connect to the spine, connect to the shoulder blades, connect to the arms, connect to the neck, connect to the head. Whole body, whole body, whole body. So, you know, it's like, don't ping pong them back in terms of focus. There's an appropriate time and place for that. You know, you're zeroing in on something, you're teaching the concept, whatever, you have a, a, you have a goal. And give them an opportunity to experience for themselves how to put it all together. See, for me, I don't even say anything. I just start using the teacher's breath. Mm -hmm. And so then I just start breathing the way that they're supposed to breathe, and they just kind of flow into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you find your, you find your way, right? And you will say things and do things that you see are not really working well, or that you're constantly like kind of, you know, beating your students with, which is also not incredibly helpful, uh, long term. At least you might get what you want in a moment, which is gratifying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like giving them an opportunity to put all the pieces together, which is also a case for being quiet, like really just stop talking. Just be quiet and let the body integrate. See what they do. Right? Give yeah. the body a chance to do what it's going to do. Take time to observe them and not worry about what you're saying to them. Yeah. Or without because like often they settle in. Totally. Yeah. And they find they meet themselves where they are. Right? Mm -hmm. They're not trying to impress you mm -hmm. or do it all right, but they're really able to like just do it the best that they can do it. And if that's the best breath you've got today, awesome. You know, let it be. And then just trust that with, and that's the other thing, like, just, we do have to, we don't have to do anything, but you can. Just trust that the method works. Untampered with. It does actually work. I think that that's really reassuring as a new student, is that if I just trust it, it will work, and I don't really have to know everything method would work yeah. if I just do it. Yeah. And you have to be discerning. Yeah. Right? And you have to be making safe and wise choices. But do it. Right? And this is one of his points. is like, do it this way. Work on doing it exactly the way I tell you. Which is one of these little sticking points for me. Just a little bit. Because there's a section in your health where he's talking about kids. He has a whole like thing, multiple pages on kids, and he talks about how like the perfect, healthiest child's spine is completely flat. And when I hear that, I think, no, it's not. <laughs> right? So there's there's a historical discrepancy in like what we knew then and what we know now. But I also feel like it's just like maybe he didn't mean flat. Right? He meant erect. Right? Well balanced. So. So that feels like, okay, now I'm on board. Right? Flat? No. Right? So and we don't we don't do everything in flat back. I mean hope maybe you do. But hopefully you don't. <laughs> There's a time and place for that, right? That imprint. But you're doing everything that way. So um, remember English was a second language. Exactly. So mm -hmm. all the words in the book. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to figure it out, put it into context. Yeah, which is why there's you know more and more of the like second generation teachers like Amy and you know Madeline Black and Tomica are really diving into the archival stuff, right? To see what he did, not just take it on the word of somebody else, right? But see what he did because you know. And we have his pictures, and some of the things were like, ah, oh, shoulders down, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hip twist. You know, that's hip circles. Yeah, he did a lot of hands on. It's like, ah, 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 like, then you're done. <laughs> so there's, you know, but look at the first picture, is good. <laughs> but, you know, he was strong and well balanced. Forceful with people. Yeah. Right. Well, there's that. But I mean, just in terms of him using his own method. Yeah. Like it's it, hard it for him. really. Yeah. It was easy for him. No. But it did produce a really 
strong body. And mm -hmm. how old he was at approximately now in that flexibility. He doesn't look 60, does he? Oh. Okay. Uh, what else? What else? What else do you think about this? Anything else that comes up? Just the functional aspect that he. I always remember one thing he says about taking a shower. No, like taking a real shower and like lubricating. I think about every time I lubricate my body. Yeah. Like how you should not have, you know, you should bend and reach and all that. Yeah. And so anyway, he was very functional. Yeah, very functional. And he talks about walking. There's a whole little section there on like the importance of walking. Mm -hmm. Like that we should all, like that's what we should strive to do is be able to walk well. Right, and that, you know, he's, he keeps making a case for like, I'm brilliant, and method is brilliant. <laughs> Look at all the benefits. But he does he talk about walking, he talks about watching kids, he talks about watching animals and draw the, drawing those connections. Yeah. And it's, the whole thing starts out like, if you want to live a full life, this is, this is for you, right? Mm -hmm. This full life, happiness, vitality, energy is based on healthy mind, healthy body, and they're not separate. Mm -hmm. He also talks about how if you have a healthy mind housed in an unhealthy body, you're 50% out of balance, mm -hmm. and vice versa. If you have a healthy body, but not a healthy mind, right? Distracted, undisciplined, all those things. I think he says it's like poison, doesn't he? At one point, uh, all that stuff in your body, like, so it's a poison. Well, he talks about muscle fatigue as oh, a poison. Oh, muscle fatigue, that's really Yeah, which is another thing that would be interesting to talk about. Um, but yeah, so body and mind, right? That like. It's all about just being happy. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Well, that was the one thing that I was gonna, that I go back to a lot, is how all of it does affect the mind and one's mental health moving forward. And even like the people that come and see me, like just the other day, my guy was just like, today's a really tough day. This is gonna be like, I'm having a really hard time. Yeah. Like, and this is gonna save me, I know that. And just how it translate for him and other people and how they like conduct themselves in the world and vice versa, how yeah. that practice for their hour where they're focused and they're breathing and they're moving and the world kind of steps away and then steps back in but then can step away but then they take that discipline out yeah. and that's what I see a lot for some Absolutely. people that I work with. And it was as important to him as working the body, right? The body was like a gateway to developing the mind. And, and vice versa, right? Focus, concentration, dedication, consistency, perseverance, like all those things that we tend to not, I say we like kind of the general community, it's like it's unspoken, like you're supposed to know, or maybe it's not like, it's not really that important. It's just exercise, right? It's movement, it's a physical practice, but it's, it is certainly not that. It's not just that, right? And I feel like that's also, like, I feel pretty opinionated about. Like, if you read the book, you know it's not just mm -hmm. about that. And, it, and you know, his whole case is like, in this modern age, this day and age, we're so corrupted, you know, we're in the office all the time. We're never outside. It's like, holy crap, what do you think about this now? <laughs> Constantly in front of this, the computer, commuting all the time, all the things. It's like, we need this work more than ever. Fashionistas, you know, and all the, all the 
valuable across the board stuff. Plenty of points of view about how they work the body. Take it, add whatever you want in, but, but if, you're, if you want to teach Pilates, it might be helpful to have a philosophical point of view. You have to be committed. Mm -hmm. Committed. That's all. Really. Yeah. And it's like to what you're teaching. Yeah, and it's not to say don't add in other things, right? So again, this is not a case for be classical or be contemporary. Because you can be contemporary and have a very strong point of view that is in alignment with your interpretation of this mm -hmm. philosophy. But have one. Right? Or get one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's people always are talking about, and I don't it's less now, but but often in the past, like, well, what's the difference? Well, you know, I'm gonna do yoga because yoga is so spiritual and it's like okay, great. Well, so is Pilates. I know. You know, body, mind, spirit. Yeah, but I mean, there's this, there's this perception that we have perpetuated as a community. Um, and because Pilates is kind of riding the wave of fitness, um, that, it, that it's just exercise. Right? And people come to Pilates, they don't want to talk about spiritual anything. And we don't do that directly. Right? But every one of us, I would venture to guess, has had some experience that makes it feel like that alignment between body and mind is kind of a spiritual experience. Right? It's like it, it helps us navigate our life emotionally, mentally. You know, so we don't talk about it directly, but I always feel a little defensive when somebody says something like that. Like I'm gonna go do yoga for the philosophical practice. And it's like, well you just you really you haven't you haven't done real Pilates then. Mm -hmm. You know? Or given it enough a chance of a chance. Because even if you never talk about it, ever, somebody shows up, like Hillary is describing, and says, This is gonna save me. And this opportunity, this permission to get quiet, to get focused, to spend time on me, all of that, that is it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. As what we, it's, a, it's just like we have some belief that yoga does that for us, but Pilates doesn't do that for us. The truth is, you come to it anyway, if you give it enough of a chance. Well, and I think that's the thing, is it takes, because of the way yoga is perceived and sometimes its classes are or led, presented. Exactly. Yeah. It somehow maybe makes it more accessible, or as a person thinks it's more accessible. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, plus, it just takes a little bit longer to get to that point because your yeah. body has to get to a point where you can get there. I yeah. feel like, mm -hmm. and it's like what we were talking about earlier about the breath, you know, and how once we figure out and create a reference point around the breath, then incorporating the breath, right, or finding it in the movement is much makes much more sense. Second. I can almost appreciate the Pilates approach more than the yoga approach because it's indirect. Yeah. And because I can come to it on my own time and my yes. own terms. Whereas yoga, depending on the teacher, not yoga as a practice, but yoga depending on who it's being taught by, which is just like with Pilates, mm -hmm. right? Can feel like it's a little prescribed. It's a little in your face, right? It's like we all match a class. We chant this thing to so-and-so. You know, we do this thing and it's just like, sometimes like, oh, I don't want really to do that, you know? Yeah. I just want to stretch and move and be given the opportunity to see what's there, which is, feels a little bit more like what Pilates does. I have an interesting story. Um, <clears throat> I just recently started teaching math at uh, the studio where I teach, and, which was really cool because she gave me the opportunity. And so she was in one of my classes this week, my, my, uh, Boss. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really interesting because she comes from that that uh, philosophy that it is fitness based. Pilates is fitness based. And yet after class, well I ended the class <clears throat> with them in child's pose and get a stretch on the back. And so then after class they were we were all chatting and she was talking and and uh, she just said when when I went into child's pose and when you touched my back, I was going to cry. And she said, I actually started to cry. She said, because it just, it just touched a place in me, you know? 
And I think that that's what I have experienced, and that's what I want other people to experience in Pilates, because that, that, there are those moments when the, the mind, the body, and the spirit do connect, and you have that moment. And to me, it's magical, and I don't get it when I'm jogging down the street. I don't get it in a lot of the other types of you know, fitness movements you know, that can be done. And so that's what I love, love and that's what I want my clients to experience too. So it was really kind of great to have that. So cool coming from this particular person yeah, who so has built a business and a reputation on being very athletic and fitness yes. focused. And uh -huh. So it was really cool, you know, and to encourage you too that, uh, you know, it is mind, body, spirit. And, and it's not always going to feel that way for people because it's going to feel like work. It's going to feel like, oh, why are you making me do the hundred again, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but there are just going to be those moments, and those moments are big. They're really big in their life. Mm -hmm. And just like you, you were saying, uh, you know, they, they know that when they come back here, they can just go to a place where they have to care for themselves. They have to do that excellent movement, and they have to bring their mind into connection with their body and their breath and their muscle movement, and, and all of it aligns. And it, it, sometimes it's hit and miss as far as that the three connecting, you know. But it it, it happens, and so yeah. A couple years ago, I um, was at the PMA conference, and I took a workshop with Bob Likens, who is one of the founders of Peak Pilates, which is a classical program. And um, he was doing the history of Pilates, and he was he studied with Romana, and uh, he was a flippin' riot. I mean, just totally not what I expected. He's an older guy, you know, maybe late fifties, early sixties, but he was just, you know, and Pete Pilates has this reputation of being this very hardcore classic, you know, kind of program. He was all about spirit. Mm. He was like, mind, body, spirit, folks, what don't you get? <laughs> like, the spirit part, right? The focus part. And he was talking about sharing stories about being in the studio with Romana and just kind of the way it was like, yeah, why am I doing the hundreds again? It's like, you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. There's something meditative about repetition, right? So do it again, do it again, do it again. And you hate it, and you hate it, and you hate it, and you love it, and you hate it, and you hate it, and you hate it, and you love it, and you hate it, and you love it, and you hate it, and you hate it a lot, and then you hate it a lot more. Then you have a breakthrough, and you love it. Right? That's the that's the practice, and he talks about that: consistency, dedication, perseverance. Sometimes I feel that lacks of qualities is, or what people gravitate towards, whether it's a class or or private, or is they like the feeling of a beginning. And an end, and in Pilates, sometimes there's not an ending. Mm, yeah. And you know, like Shavasana and Yoda. And yeah. I, you know, after 20 years of teaching, I finally am just doing that. Yeah. Like it's simply like take three deep breaths <laughs> and you're lying on the reformer, or, you know, at the chair, or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know. I think maybe people don't know Pilates. That's they they don't get that conclusion enough mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah, well, and in the, if we look at the classic mat work, though, we, it ends with push-ups. Right. Which ends with standing. Yeah, so which is an ending. Yeah, which is not always the kind of ending I want, but I feel like I can, it does make a lot of sense, right, because you take people and you put them on their feet. Yeah. It's like you, you do all the work, right? And he says something really interesting, which I don't know is true. We should do some research about how so many of the poses are on your back and reclined and sitting, and he talks about that that's the more natural place for the heart, that non-stressful place for the heart. So people who, he says something like, if you have a natural weakness, then this kind of exercise doesn't perpetuate that weakness, which I think is like, huh, wonder about that. <laughs> Not sure exactly. But that the network in standing does feel like a really appropriate conclusion. So you put it all together, and there's that functional component is you put it on your feet, and then you walk out. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you can walk out with your Pilates, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Rather than... Well, you're more grounded. I mean, that's right. what it's all about. I mean, you're grounding yourself, and you're doing all these different exercises, front, back, 
right. every part of you is in the center. So. Yeah. But even in that, it does feel a little bit like, you know, at the very end of the classic work, we have, what, like, crab and control balance, and then, you know, I don't know, and then push-ups, you know, it's just like, it's like, hard, 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 okay, done. <laughs> so there's not, a, there's not a, like, maybe quite the progressive, you know, moving towards the ending. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. quite referring to the classical work. I yeah, yeah just in, in general. general. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't feel yeah. like there's like, like okay, you're on the farm. You did the speed straps. Okay, bye. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I've seen that a lot. Uh, and yeah. I used to teach like that, and now. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, up and roll the shoulders. Even in the mat work, you start yeah. like. Bam. Yeah. Hundreds. I know. It's like three deep breaths. Right. Yeah. So it does feel like you chewed out of the gate fast. So that's the spiritual thing that I think. Because there is not that. The beginning, middle, and ending gives people a sense of completion, being unified. Mm -hmm. When I teach my springboard class and I make sure to have like a, a real ending, I don't do it every time, but you know, sometimes yeah. I do. Yeah. And you can see the look on the people's face, just they feel more relaxed and more yeah. in their body, yes. and they're always so much more gracious. They're always like, thank you so much. <laughs> well, there's, in terms of the nervous system, too, and the neuromuscular patterning that we are building, right, with everything that we do, repetition, consistency, um, there is a moment, there is something that actually physiologically happens when we stop after a vigorous exercise, and we stop, and we let it all settle, right? It's like that, that opportunity to let it sink in, Right, to like let it go a little deeper, 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 and then it's more likely to stick around longer. So just from a very like black and white, literal, what happens to the nervous system and what's happening in the brain, there's some benefit to that. You apply that to anything. To anything, right? To anything, exactly. And and then you know. This is again. This is not. This is not a case to teach this order all the time and nothing else. Because that's to me. I don't do that. But I think there's value in doing that. I think there's value in consistency, which is a big component of what we're going to talk about after lunch, in terms of how do you, if you don't want to teach the orders exactly the way they are over and over and over again, how do you maintain the value of that without necessarily doing that? So, you know, so it's not a case to teach exactly this way, in this order, but to sustain it as much as possible and build in your build in your arc, right? Build in what's the peak going to be, what's the entry point, how do you bring it full circle? Like I feel like in my teaching style, I'm a big fan of full circle. Start standing and standing. Start with a side stretch and with a side stretch. Right, start with extension and with extension. Bring it full circle because it gives the body an opportunity to discover that it does work. All the things that you did lead you somewhere. That's the coolest thing when you start with something and you end with the same exact thing and they go, oh, I didn't, that didn't feel like that yeah. 50 yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. Or I couldn't, I couldn't do that 50 yeah. minutes ago. And now look at my Monday. I'm like, yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so start with standing and push-ups. Yeah. See how that goes. Your students will love you, maybe. Or maybe they will. I'm your student. Okay, uh, anything else? Anything else that's, you know, rumbling around in there? Any, sh any like, who, who just read it for the first time? Okay, what was your first impression? Um, I really liked it a lot. I, I felt like it brought everything together and um, more depth of understanding about the work. And I really liked that he had such a holistic view of health because, yes. as you know, I always say that's like my big thing. Yes. I'm so into, yeah, get fresh air, eat rice, you know. It's so it's just like, wow, I really am in alignment with And he flat out says, says it, Pilates is not the only thing you should be doing. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's awesome. It is very holistic, mm -hmm. right? 
there'll be anything. Um, I felt like there's, if, I felt like it was something that there's multiple stages that each time you read it, depending on where you're at, either like personally in your practice, that you'll understand either something in a different way that you yeah. got before, or that there's going to be different things that come to light that you weren't ready Didn't for. See, yeah. And so I would see it as something that you just continuously kind of go back to yeah. mm -hmm. yearly or, you know, whatever kind yeah. of thing you do so that to refresh as well as to just kind of keep getting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I said, even reading it last night, yeah, it was like, oh, that thing about, like, oh, that thing about self-care, 10 minutes a day. I feel like I read that for the first time, mm -hmm. you know, and I've read it a dozen times. So it's like, yeah, because that's, you know, a little bit where my brain is already. But, and so, yeah, it is a, it's an unfolding process, just like the work is, right? Layer by layer, we get better at the hundreds, better, it's a little easier, it gets a little easier, and then all of a sudden, it's just laborious, right? And then we plateau, and it's just like, oh, I hate this exercise. And then we just, then we come back to a fundamental principle, and we try to apply it.